with you today concerning this issue, uh, not only of abortion, but also now we're dealing with euthanasia very strongly. Uh, and uh, this was prophesied it would come to pass. Uh, it started out taking unborn lives, but now they're, uh, they're euthanizing people that uh, they get too old and they say, well, you're not useful in society no more, or you're costing too much medical money to keep on uh, try to keep alive, so we're going to go ahead and put you out of your misery and out of ours too. That's what basically what it comes around to. But we believe that life is sacred from the moment of conception until natural death. Hallelujah. To natural death. I don't care if it's 150. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, it's sacred. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I'm reading this out of the God's Word translation. The Lord spoke His Word to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart for my holy purpose. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Mighty God, as we come today, we thank you and we praise you, God, for being together today and each and every one that is here. I'm asking for your anointing to us upon us today as we attempt to speak briefly, God, concerning this issue that we're talking about today, about the sacredness of life. I'm asking God that you anoint me, anoint the ears. And Lord, there might be someone here today, I don't know, that's gone through this tragedy. And God, help them to know and realize through this that you don't hate them. They have not committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, and uh, that you will accept them. And I'm asking you, God, to help them, Lord. And, and speak also to our younger ones that are here today to let, let them know in, in case of something in the future that there are choices and there are other things that we can do. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen. You can be seated. I want to talk about the sacredness of life. Um, it's Brother um, brother Travis is one that's kind of got me going every now and then telling some of these little stories and and, brother, I, I read this, and I said, I'm going to have to use this today. But there was three preachers uh, out all out in the boat fishing. And uh, I think one of them was a Methodist, and one was a Pentecostal, and uh, uh, one, one was a Baptist. They're all sitting there, and fish wasn't biting too good. So they just got started to talking, and they was talking about this issue of abortion. And so anytime the issue of abortion comes up, naturally the main question that everybody argues over, and that's what everybody has to try to set, settle, is when does life begin? When does life actually begin? That's the biggest issue. Now, the Methodist preacher says, no, says life begins at the moment the baby is born and that doctor spanks him on the rear and they start crying. And uh, the Pentecostal preacher says, no, life begins uh, at the very moment of conception. Uh, and, but the Baptist preacher spoke up and says, y'all both are wrong. Life begins when the last child finally leaves home. <laughs> Which that don't happen no more. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, Brother Travis, I'm going to dedicate that one to you, brother. <laughs> Glory to God. Uh, 
Amen. Uh, uh, there might be some truth to that. I won't know. I won't add nothing to that. Um, <laughs> the country of Haiti, if you'll notice on the news, if you watched it um, um, a week or two or so ago, Haiti just honored over 200,000 people who died in the earthquake which ravaged that nation two years ago. Now, 200,000 sounds like a lot, and it is. It was one of the greatest loss of lives in a tragedy like that in our modern day. 1.5 million people across America, from Maine to California, homeless. Sounds like a big number as well. And be sure it is, with no real solutions in sight. But talking about big numbers, there's another number. It's not 200,000, it's not 1.5 million, but it's 50 million. And it's being, that number 50 million is being increased by the rate of 4,000 a day just in the United States alone. Think about that. 4,000 a day, that number is increasing. Uh, 50 million. What is this? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is, folks. It is America's Holocaust. The Holocaust didn't stop in, in World War II when 6 million Jews were slaughtered by Hitler. But America, since 1973, has, has had her own Holocaust with well over 50 million. Since 1973, when the Supreme Court made the decision to make abortion legal, placing our official stamp of approval as a nation upon the death of the innocent. And just as surely as those precious little ones over the past 39 years awoke in heaven with Jesus, may the babies yet to come to birth this year and in the future years, awake to a life here on earth as God intended them to in the beginning of their life. Hallelujah. We as Americans, and especially Christian Americans, should earnestly pray that once again a mother's womb would be a safe place where life thrives and where there is no danger from outside forces seeking to eliminate and destroy it. This is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And I'm here to say that Haitian life is of immeasurable value to God. And it should be us as well. But as great as that tragedy is, the greatest one is right under our own noses in our homeland and is approved by the laws of this land. Church, I'm talking about babies with souls since the moment of conception. Hallelujah. But more than that, babies who have been developed physically, who has beaten hearts, digestive stomachs, open eyes, hearing ears. Baby, which since the advent of ultrasound have seen uh, to see them recoiling in pain, desperately trying to escape their killers. Oh, I've seen those videos 
Ghost. Oh my God. And how that unborn baby moves and tries to get away from the forceps or the needles and, and all those things. Oh God. Nothing moves me more. And I, I love America. I'm glad I was born in this country. But when I talk about this, I'm ashamed to be called an American. They have souls from the very moment of conception. He said, before I formed you, but even before I formed you, God told Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart for my holy purpose. God spoke to Zacharias and his wife. He said, behold, you're going to have a son in your old age. And he's going to be the one chosen to go before the Holy One to prepare the way. And God told Zechariah and his wife, he will be filled with the Holy Ghost when? From his mother's womb. When John the Baptist came out, he came out, hallelujah, as a Holy Ghost filled man. Oh, Lord. If the way that the coroner determines a person is completely dead is by the absence of brain waves. That's what coroners tell us. If you have a loved one in an accident or has a heart attack or stroke or something, and they put them on life support, and you're praying along with the rest of your family, for a miracle, hoping and praying until finally after months have elapsed and the team of specialists comes in to talk to you and they tell you there is no hope, neither shall there be because there is no wave uh, or brain waves now at all. The brain waves are gone. So without brain waves, there's no hope. They are already dead. You need to consider going ahead and pulling the plug because there's no brain. I know that happens because as a minister and as a pastor, I stood beside families who had to go through that agonizing thing. When I was a formal pastor of another church, a precious young couple and some of you who goes to the fellowship meetings uh, know them uh, because they come to the youth services and, and various ones. And they had an old, older son, a teenage son, that was there the other night seeking for the Holy Ghost. Well, his mom and dad, their first baby, was born when Sister Darlene and myself was pastoring in Bowling Green. This child was found lifeless 
in his cradle, flown by helicopter to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. And Sister Pruitt and myself was there with the parents around the clock until the doctors come and told them, says, the child's gone, victim of SIDS. There's no brave we, uh, brain waves. You need to uh, remove the plug. And I seen the look on the parents' face. And I knew what was going on in their mind. And I, even though I didn't want to do it, but I stepped up to the plate and I says, if you want me to, I'll go in back there and I'll stand by your child with my hand on his breast and laying there praying while they pull that plug. And they said, Pastor, will you please do that? There's a lot of things pastors has to do. They don't really care to do, but you've got to do some things about it. And I did that. I did that because the doctor says there's no brain waves. Well, if that's right, if what doctor says is right, if the Bible, if the doctors say the absence of brain waves, well, shouldn't the presence of brain waves prove life? Come on, somebody. If they tell us on one hand that there's no brain waves, there's no life, well, if there are brain waves, shouldn't there be life? There's brain waves in every child that's ever been aborted. If you follow the news, you will see how mixed up our nation of laws have become. I'm going to read you one of the articles in a, in a newspaper. A Massachusetts woman charged in the deaths of her nine-year-old daughter and unborn son has been arraigned on murder and manslaughter charges. Now listen to this. Authorities say that a pregnant mother in Quincy, Massachusetts, fatally for some reason stabbed her nine-year-old daughter. This was back in April of last year. And then after that, she took the knife and stabbed herself in, in her own abdomen, killing her unborn baby. And they charge the woman for murder of, of, of a child and the fetus, the unborn baby. Murder? Really? Two murders? Why? Now, don't get me wrong what I'm saying here. I'm not justifying this woman by no means. But somebody, please, I know I, I, I don't have much sense and much learning. I'm just, I'm just a dumb old boy from nowhere. But I want somebody to please ask, answer me the question. Why should she be tried for murder and not all the other mothers who kill their baby in abortion? Why was she charged with murder for killing that unborn child by sticking that 
knife into her stomach when if she would have just went down to the abortion clinic and paid them the dues, she could have took whatever means and had it aborted and it would have been all right. What's the difference? There are many groups today who cry out against capital punishment. Now, I'm not here advocating for or against here. We can talk privately about my personal views on capital punishment. I'm not saying yay or nay for either, but, but many groups cry out against capital punishment because they say that too many innocent people have been put to death by the state and then found out later that they were innocent. And so because of this, because of this, we should not have capital, capital punishment. But here's the kicker, folks. While you are at work tomorrow, those of you who will be at work tomorrow, 4,000 innocent people will be submitted to capital, capital punishment. Although they have never had no trial before they will be executed, they have no attorney to plead their case. And they won't even be granted the basic rights of a prisoner of war. Neither will they even be given any kind of anesthesia so they won't feel no pain. But yet, tomorrow, while you and I are working, 4,000 will be doomed to capital punishment. Think about that. Think about that. They will die a torturous death. Some will be even ripped apart by forceps, while others are injected with toxins. 4,000 per day. Now, that's a big number. Francis Schaeffer, a 20th century uh, prophet and intellectual, warned us in the 70s after abortion was passed. He said abortion was the beginning of a slippery slope of degradation of human life, that it would eventually lead to euthanasia and such things as physician-assisted suicides. People were skeptical about that den, they say, no, it won't. this is just abortion of, of a hunk of tissue. We won't, we won't see that, but you know what? He's been proved to be right. He's been proved to be right. We've had men like Dr. Kavokian. How many remember the doctor of death? Put in jail. Well, there are countries around the world now that are doing that. France is one of them euthanasia and all these others. Folks, here's something. I've, one thing I've got to say. In God's eyes, and I'm, I'm talking about the sacredness of life. In God's eyes, life is sacred. But in America, life is scared. Now think about that. In God's eyes, life is sacred. But in America, life is scared. Whether you're young or old or in between, you don't ever know if you'll be put in a position where somebody else wants to choose for you and take your own life. 
Why is life sacred? I've got to move on. Life is sacred, number one, because God created it. We, we, we didn't start out as, a, as some amoeba at the bottom of an ocean. And, and then uh, uh, and developed fins and swim around and, and, then crawl, and then crawled up on the beach and then climbed up into the trees and lived in the trees for a while and then, and, 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 and then fell out of the tree. I know some of us walk around here sometimes like we look like we fell out of a tree somewhere. Don't get personal, Pastor. Hallelujah. But <laughs> glory. Life was created by God. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I don't know about you, but I choose to believe what the book says. I choose to believe what the book says. Every time conception takes place within the womb of a woman, a miracle happens. Hallelujah. People walk around and say, are there any miracles? They say, yes, ma'am, or yes, so. Every time a woman conceives, it's a miracle. The work of creation is renewed again, and life is formed just as in the beginning when the Lord first revealed His mighty creative hand. The Lord God of heaven spoke the universe. Now think about this. The Lord God of heaven spoke the universe into existence. Everything else, He just spoke it. Let there be light. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the heaven. Stars. Let there be oceans and seas. All that he, he just spoke it into existence. Amen. Everything. But when God come to the creation of man, God got personal. God got down and with his hands in the dirt. Think about this now. God got down and with the hands, his hands in the dirt, formed man out of the dust. And he placed a little part of himself into that creation, making it more sacred than anything else he ever made. Hallelujah. And he's been coming down on mine and your level ever since. Glory to God. He got out in the dirt and created my father Adam. Hallelujah. Got his hands dirty to make me and you. And then he breathed into my nostrils the breath of life. He put some of himself into man. He did something that he hadn't done with all of his other creation. He came down to our level. And he's been coming down to our level ever since. The greatest thing after that is when God Jehovah came down from heaven into a stable in the little town of Bethlehem. Hallelujah. Into a womb of a teenage woman, girl, by the name of Mary. And God became a man. 
He wrapped himself in human flesh so he could walk amongst us. Hallelujah. And feel what we feel and suffer what we suffer so he can become our great high priest. Hallelujah. You cannot be the high priest unless you understand what the people go through. And Jesus Christ became your great. He couldn't suffer as God, but when God became a man, he could suffer. Hallelujah. So life is sacred because God created it. Number two, life is sacred no matter what condition it may be in. Now this is beginning to be a greater battle than abortion today. Fights are really being fought of whether or not a certain life should be left alive under certain conditions. But I'm going to tell you something, church. Life is sacred no matter what condition it's in. You mean nobody else has the right to take a life just because that life might be a little bit imperfect. Do you hear me? Some studies that's been made has report that as many as 80% of married couples who are faced with a report of amnesties, I can't pronounce that proper, but it's a test that is run on pregnant women where they uh, go into uh, the abdomen and they pull out some of the fluids. They do that to detect a suspicion that a certain child could be born with Dow syndrome. And studies support that 80% of couples who's the, who the doctors come and say that this child will be born with Dow syndrome will choose to abort. But yet, you won't find anybody who has a Dow syndrome child who will not tell you that even with Dial syndrome, that child doesn't uh, uh, does not bring a, a light to their life and bring them absolute joy. Parent upon parent says that they're one of the most loving persons they've ever known. That's true, and this is true also. I don't care what the doctors come and tell you; they don't know it all. Little Sarah Marie just celebrated a birthday. And I'm here to tell you, if doctors had that way, she wouldn't be with us today. She wouldn't be here today if doctors had their way. Some people at the hospital, I was told, got absolutely mad at y'all. Am I, am I not correct, Brother Travis? Got upset. Doctors don't know everything. God knows more about us than anybody else. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap about that. Yes. And I promise you, more, more women who choose to trust God rather than man wind up still having a, a baby born complete and whole. Glory to God. But even children who do have Dow syndrome 
their life is just as sacred as the ones that don't. They're just as precious. They got value to them. They have value. And just because somebody's got a disease or an ailment does not mean that God loves them any less. Hallelujah. It's a truth in the house, Brother Carl used to say. Hallelujah. Amen. But think about it. Think about it. Let me tell you or read you a story that I, I pulled out. Max Lucado, anybody recognize that name? He's a very uh, a good uh, writer. He's, he's put out many books I have got. Well, I did have. I don't know how many I got left. It was in my office at the church. But I used to have about every book he ever wrote. But Max Lucado tells in his book, The Applause of Heaven. He's got a book titled The Applause of Heaven. And in that book, let me just read this to you. He told, tells about a sweater that hangs in his closet. He says that he, he, he doesn't wear it. It's too small. The sleeves are too short. The shoulders are too tight. Some of the buttons are missing. The thread is all frazzled. Now, Max says logically he should take it and throw it out and throw it away because that sweater says he's got no use for it and he will never wear it again. Logic says it just takes up space in the closet. That's what logic says. But let me tell you what love says that comes out of his heart. What's unusual about that sweater? To start with, it don't have a label on it. There's no tag telling you to wash in cold water. That's because it wasn't made in a factory, produced on an assembly line as the product of a nameless employee earning a living. Rather, that sweater was the creation of a devoted mother expressing her love. His mother, Max Lucado's mother. That sweater is unique, one of a kind, irreplaceable. Each strand was chosen with care. Each thread, thread selected with affection. And so even though that sweater has lost all of its use, it is less, but yet it's never lost none of its value. It is valuable not because of its function, but it's value because of its maker. And so is every life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every life has got value because of its maker. And its maker is God. And Sister Faith, when you get into the streets of glory, you're going to have, you're going to have somebody there that's going to meet you that you're going to see for the first time that you're going to have a reunion with. Glory to God. Been waiting for you for a long time. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Because God holds life sacred. Hallelujah. Those who have imperfection in their bodies are sacred and important to God. In Luke chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus made a statement. He said, when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. God is just concerned, Sister Edna, with all these people out here with problems and issues as He is with everybody else. If He wasn't concerned with people with problems and issues, that means He wouldn't be concerned with me because I've got my share. 
Third, uh, third and finally, life is sacred because of its eternal nature. Human life was made in God's image and at the moment of conception received an eternal soul which will continue even when the body is dead. The Bible is filled with scriptures that talks about things that will happen after these bodies die. I don't have time to give you the whole detail of all of them, but I'll share a couple of them. One is found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And this is what it says. And it is appointed for men once to die. I believe Brother Bobby used that in one of his lessons not long ago. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, how in the world can, can somebody go through a judgment after they die? Unless something still is is living, something is going, something continuing. Revelation chapter six and verse nine, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. When John the Revelator looked into heaven, he saw the main altar in heaven, and under that altar were souls of men and women who had been slain for the Word of God. And you know what? There's a whole lot more souls, about 50 million of them, that's been placed under there since John's time because of abortion. Here's, here's the facts, folks. What you're looking at here, my body, it came from the dust, and from the dust it's going back. But you're not looking at Sammy Pruitt. You're only looking at the house that Sammy Pruitt lives in. The real Sammy Pruitt is what can't be seen on the inside. And I promise you, you are going to live forever somewhere. You do not cease to exist when your body dies. I often describe death as like somebody leaving one room and going into another room. Uh... From one room to another room. Brother Stanley, I want you to stand up for a moment. Everybody look, here's Brother Stanley sitting there. Brother Stanley, if you would, I want you to step out uh, of the sanctuary and go outside in the hall and count to ten to yourself and then come back in. Now we've seen Brother Stanley standing there. But guess what? He's not in here right now. He's, you can't look and see him. But does, does that mean he's not still existent? Hmm? He's still around. He might not be in here, but he's still alive. Do you hear me? Thank you, brother. Give him a hand clap. Praise the Lord. When Brother Stanley left this room and went to the other, he did not go into non-existence. He still was, he still was alive. And it's the same way with death. Glory to God. One day if the Lord delays this coming, it won't be, uh, it, it, it won't be in this building, but in, 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 our new, in our new building somewhere in the future, if the Lord, like I said, delays this coming, uh, uh, people around Christ Family Church will pass around the coffin holding their former pastor. But don't you dare say that he's dead. Because at that moment, I'll be more alive than what I've ever been. 
I can stand right here right now, and in my mind I can visualize a pool full of calls casket laying right here. Seeing the condition of this frail body all bent over, made because all the years of preaching the gospel, sitting up sleeping in the back of that car, not being able to lay down. Brother Carl is more alive right now than any of us put together. Hallelujah. And if you could talk to Christ Family Church, he loved this church. He loved it. He loved the former pastor and the founder. And if he could talk to us all, he'd say, church, keep fighting. You get don't you let what happened to you stop you. You get your building built, and you go over and you keep shouting, you keep rejoicing, you keep winning souls, you keep preaching the truth. And we're going to be together again one day. And the reason why is life is sacred. It's sacred to God. Let's everybody stand. We're going to pray. And in this prayer, I hope I'd like everybody just to pray with an honest heart, first of all, as an American. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not guilty of all the sins that Israel was before God come in and destroyed it and carried him captive to Babylon. But when Jeremiah prayed to God, he was known as the weeping prophet. He wept. A lot of the book of Lamentations is about that. But God, Jeremiah put himself in the same shoes as everybody else. He says, God, he said, forgive us because we have sinned. As we pray, as Americans, let's pray and say, God, forgive us as Americans for the sin of abortion. Even though we've not been involved with it firsthand, make it personal with you. Say, God, forgive us as Americans for the sin of abortion. And then pray for the mothers who've gone through that, that God will give them peace of mind. And to some way let them know that God is not their enemy and that he loves them. And they can go on and they can be useful in the kingdom of God. And then pray for our leaders. Let's pray that somehow, some way, shape, form, or fashion, that we'll finally get somebody in Washington that'll see the error of our ways and have Roe v. Wave overturned. So we won't have to worry about this no more. So every year in the month of January, you won't have to hear this preacher stop and preach on this. Let's pray together. Mighty God, as we come to you right now, in the blessed name of Jesus.